0: Next on Making Sense of the Madness, missiles shot at Japan. Bangladesh has 140 million people without power. We're in the midst of Red October. And we're joined by Brandon Strock of the Walkaway Campaign. He will discuss January 6th and his latest tactics of switching Democrats to Republicans. Next, Elliot Resnick debunks the myth that Jewish people are strictly liberal. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now.
1: Minnesota, Texas, to, to help however they can. And New York sent not only a congresswoman, one of the most congresswomen in the Congress, but the state troopers and emergency responders.
0: That's right. She's the most congresswoman woman in Congress. Well, in Brazil, new videos and analysis are coming out to document irregularities in their historic election. Let's take a look at this voting machine that just couldn't seem to post a vote for Bolsonaro, no matter how many times they clicked on that button. This is the type of shenanigans we've got to deal with. And next, we're going to show you a graph that's showing something that looks familiar, a vote spike for the communist candidate at the last minute. You know, this election steal strategy is straight from a playbook, and it's obvious to see at this point. Well, Elon Musk is making waves for suggesting the brokering of a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine that could involve loss of territory. A Ukrainian official wasn't too happy about it. He said his diplomatic response was, F you, Elon Musk, we're not buying your crap Teslas in Ukraine anymore. Well, an anarchist teacher for eighth graders says he's the parent for your kid. Check out Project Veritas's latest expose right here.
2: Trust me, I wanna like burn down the entire system. The only thing that's a problem here is that uh, House Bill 1775 or something. I can get my license vote for it, for
3: being too broke. I broadcasted too too much last minister. So. yeah.
2: Like um, eventually you
4: want to like remove
2: Christianity from or uh, religion from progressive thought because yes. like religion is higher
4: Deep inside the Sooner State in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we caught up with an eighth-grade English teacher from Will Rogers High School who still prides himself on his radical activist fame on TikTok more than he
0: does teaching the students. I have a rather large TikTok following.
4: Yeah. I am a, I'm
2: an authority figure, so I'm going to give out a Christmas message of like, hey, if your parents don't love and support you for who you are this Christmas. Yeah. Them, I'm your parents now. Sure. I love you. Drink some water. You're proud of you. What's wrong with that? Uh, I said
4: the yes. That is Tyler Ryn, who used to be known as Tyler Parks. He used to teach at the Iwaso Eighth Grade Center until he resigned last April after these TikTok videos were highlighted by libs of TikTok.
3: Hey, if your parents don't love and accept you for who you are this Christmas, fuck them. I'm your parents now. I'm proud of you. Drink some water. I love you. Bye.
0: Well, those are the types of people who are teaching your kids, so watch out. Well, President Trump is suing CNN in a nearly half a billion defamation lawsuit, and he had this to say on Truth Social. In the coming weeks and months, we will also be filing lawsuits against a large number of other fake news media companies for their lies, defamation, and wrongdoing, including including as it pertains to the big lie that they used so often in reference to their disinformation attack on the presidential election of 2020. Likewise, we may bring appropriate action against the unselect committee of January 6th because notwithstanding overwhelming evidence, they refused to investigate the massive presidential election fraud which took place, but only investigate and harass the people and patriots who complained and asked questions about it. The rigging and stealing of our presidential election was perhaps the crime of the century, and look at what is happening to our country now. Well, in other news, in the country of Bangladesh, 140 million people are without power. And yes, that is most of the country. Can you imagine if half the USA was without power? That's the number of people we're talking about. And people in nursing homes and hospitals rely on power for their very survival. We must pray for Bangladesh. And we'll keep you updated as more information comes up because we don't know much right now. This is breaking news. Well, North Korea shot a ballistic missile in the direction of Japan. And Japan issued a shelter order. And the missile crossed over the island and landed in the Pacific. So many escalations are happening right now, from a nuclear standoff in Ukraine to tensions in the Middle East and Taiwan. We must be prepared for anything at this point. Well, a down-home Floridian gave DeSantis a no-nonsense endorsement. Pardon the language on this clip, but this is how Democrats feel about America first when they wake up. Check it out
1: that shit about DeSantis but that gas is here in Arcadia, in, in, now, Arcadia. I don't know about the rest of y'all but it's here in Arcadia so y'all know who we vote for <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you motherfuckers I'm voting for DeSantis and I'm a democrat so y'all can call it what the fuck y'all want we got children okay, out here okay I'm sorry man I'm
0: sorry. that was kind of funny well Brandon Strock is the founder of the walkaway campaign he's joining us next that is it for the breaking news headlines we'll be right back
1: government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold,
5: buy silver, buy now, but buyer beware
1: Don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit KirkElliotPhD.com.
0: Brandon Strock is the founder of the Walkaway Campaign. He's a former liberal and former Democratic Party supporter. He very publicly walked away from the political left and created a social movement encouraging others to do the same. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've recently been canceled by a lot of companies. Tell me how that's impacted you and how you keep your resolve.
5: <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, uh, I actually was uh, one of the people who was targeted by the DOJ following January 6, 2021. Uh, I was present In Washington, D.C. on January 6th, but what's very interesting about my case is that I didn't enter the Capitol and I didn't engage in any violence, vandalism, theft or destruction, nor was I ever accused of doing such. Um, I was actually on the east side of the Capitol grounds, which was opposite the side where we've seen people breaking windows and struggling with police officers, etc. And I stood outside of the Capitol on the east side grounds for eight minutes shooting a video uh, but because I have a rather large following and a large uh, political presence on the conservative side of the aisle due to the fact that I created the walkaway campaign, um, I was then targeted by the DOJ and FBI raided, uh, arrested, taken to jail and charged with numerous felonies and uh, and a misdemeanor charge. And due to my arrest, not conviction, uh, this was literally within days of just getting arrested and charged. I was banned by uh, PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, Patreon, Mailchimp, Constant Contact, uh, don- donor portals to my organization, payment processors, uh, social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it was um, it was a total annihilation, really, of basically any sort of uh, technological or software tools that one would need in the modern age to conduct their business or, you know, to be able to exist and function. And um, I, I mean, I can tell you it was devastating. It's been devastating. My team and I kind of rolled up our sleeves and it took us throughout the better course of the year to sort of try to recover much of what was damaged and taken away. But it's it's an uphill battle. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we're, we're still fighting really hard to ensure our survival going into the future.
0: It's almost as if big tech and all of these companies were prepared and coordinated in their ability to shut down you and your organization. That's had such an impact. Uh, you know, the same thing has happened to me. You know, with PayPal and Venmo and Mailchimp and all the rest, just for my political beliefs and you know, just for talking about the stuff that we talk about on social media. So I can really relate to you how you know it's just so hard to have a modern organization without all these things to accept money and, and to communicate with people on an email list. Well, I wanna to talk to you more about January 6th. I have a video here of some harsh words for silent Republicans at CPAC. Let's take a look.
5: Uh, I was present on January 6th, as I think most people know. I was scheduled to be a speaker at the Capitol on that day. I was approaching my scheduled speaking engagement when I began getting text messages from people who were watching at home saying that they were hearing that people were going inside of the building, which made me very curious because that sounded like an unusual circumstance. I was on the east side of the building, which is the opposite side of the building where later we found out people had broken windows and committed acts of violence. When I arrived, the doors on the east side of the building were open. I walked up to the top of the steps and I shot a video for eight minutes, which I put on Twitter. I never entered the Capitol. I stood on the east side steps for eight minutes. Two and a half weeks later, an FBI SWAT raided my apartment, put me in handcuffs, and took me to jail. I sat in jail for days. And when I got out, I found out I was facing multiple felony charges and a misdemeanor. And this began what became a, well, it hasn't ended. It's actually in the last couple of weeks they're coming after me again, on on new things related to my case, which I thought was over. Um, Because I stood on the east side steps for eight minutes, I have been permanently banned by PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, Patreon, email services. I've been put on a terrorism watch list so that when I go to the airport, I have to go through hours of screening. But what I want to say and make really clear while I have this this stage is what's been most horrifying of all is not the behavior of the left. It's been the silence of the right. And I'd like to finish my point. And I'd like to finish my point. Between the years of 2018 and 2020, nobody worked harder for President Trump than I did. I'll go toe-to-toe with any person in this room if they think they did more for President Trump than I did. Nobody worked harder for the Republican Party. Nobody got more people to walk away from the Democratic Party and become a Republican. And for me to go through what I went through and not have a single person stand up and say, we've got your back and this is wrong, is disgraceful. It's a disgrace.
0: Well, those were harsh words, but I would say they're well-deserved. Uh, you know, there are just so many spineless rhinos. Uh took a lot of guts for you to, to bring that up at CPAC uh, with the congressperson on the stage with you. Uh, can you tell me, tell me about, has anything changed since you, you gave that speech? Has there been anyone who's been more receptive to communicate with you and to stand up more for January 6th detainees? Because there has been a climate change. President Trump's finally speaking out about
4: it, for example.
5: Not really. Um, I I can't honestly say that anything has changed in any significant or meaningful way since I delivered that message. Um, There is one member of Congress who I'm now in communication with who I wasn't before. um, And that mostly was the result of the fact that this member of Congress was also at CPAC. And um, we had an exchange with one another backstage after I delivered that message, uh, which essentially the conversation began with sort of um, an evaluation of the the message that I delivered on the CPAC stage. Um, and so you know we we worked our way through that conversation and now we are in communication and some steps are being taken at this point preliminary steps initial steps to begin uh what may end up being uh some possible uh, interaction and 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 some possible congressional hearings of some sort to talk with people about what their experience has been on January 6th which I think is extremely positive um you know I'm I'm a little apprehensive about About making it sound like more than it is, because at this point, I'm very much a believe it when I see it kind of person. Uh, But I will say that it's it's a positive step in the right direction, because before CPAC, there was literally no interaction or movement of any kind. Uh, But I, I... But I want to be clear that I'm extremely disappointed that even after I delivered that message at CPAC, um, I've still received no communication from anybody in the former administration or uh, members of Congress other than this one person.
0: Yeah, and even the congressperson on stage admitted that there were only 12 Republicans doing anything about the January 6th detainees. And that's not a lot. Uh, And so even when you you, you put them on blast, so to speak, they still didn't step up. Why do you think so? Do you think it's pure cowardice? Because I would think since their constituents care so much about it, and since you help people get votes, you would be, uh, you know, it would be very strategic to form an alliance with you, actually.
5: It's a no-brainer. I mean, it's it's literally a no-brainer. I mean, that and the thing is that my case is, I think, one of the most I guess I'd use the word perhaps egregious cases because again, I didn't go inside the building. I didn't engage in any violence or destruction of any kind. I stood outside holding a camera and shooting a video and the worst thing that I was accused of, and I'm making no comment one way or another about my, my guilt, but I'm saying the worst thing I was accused of by the DOJ was engaging in words or rhetoric that could have been, construed as insightful th- things like saying the words, go, go, um, and take it, take it. Like these are words that I said, or, or, or that I was alleged to have said, um, that contributed to me being charged with felony charges. So, I mean, if, if one looks at my case, if anybody with any experience in the law whatsoever looked at my case, uh, they would say, I, I think that they would come to the conclusion that, um, we've never seen the, the the judicial system used in quite this way before, and I don't think. And, and what's I think so astounding to me is that there's nothing. You know, you talk about cowardice. Is it cowardice? Well, yes, but it's also um, a fundamental lack of understanding or knowledge of what's going on. Many of them have no clue what's going on, and that's just the truth. I mean, I hear on an almost daily basis from people, either family members of J6ers or J6ers themselves, or just people who care about January 6th who have talked to members of Congress, and the responses they often get are, oh, there are still people in the prisons and, oh, that's still going on. These are members of Congress. They have no clue what's going on. But I think that the ones who do have at least a basic knowledge of what's going on um, feel like it's just too controversial or or too toxic to get near. And I could understand that if every person who was arrested was somebody who punched a police officer or broke a window but in the vast majority of cases, that's not what's happened. It's people who either walked into the building through an open door or people like myself who didn't even go in the building in the first place and are now being labeled domestic terrorists and insurrectionists. And if they bothered to take five minutes to have a conversation with me about what I what my situation is, they would learn a lot about what's going on in these cases.
0: And a lot of journalists were given a pass because you're supposed to, as a journalist, be able to document things that are happening. Uh, But we live in a different world now where someone like you is more of a journalist than people on CNN that have such low ratings, hardly anyone's watching them. So I believe that you should have had journalistic immunity to be able to shoot and document uh, there as well. But unbelievable to understand that this kind of big tech, big media uh, control mechanism that we have is influencing Congress itself. It's not just the normies out there who just uh, believe everything they watch on TV. It's actual members of Congress who fall for the disinformation. So uh, that's why it it is our job as the new media uh, to get out there and advocate. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you how we can really identify and and purge our, our party of these rhinos as soon as we get back.
4: Inflation is out of control. The price of gasoline has doubled in a very short time, and interest rates are set to rise. How do you protect and grow your portfolio to make sure that you do not outlive your assets? Invest in annuities that have rate lock. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax-deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate-free, and they can provide an income that you can't outlive. With all the different companies, features, indexes, and benefits which annuities offer, it can be confusing to choose which annuity is best for your unique situation. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate-lock annuity that's right for you. Add an annuity to your retirement portfolio and start enjoying the many benefits that smart investors love. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024.
0: We're talking to Brandon Strzok of the Walkaway Campaign. So how can we identify rhinos? You know, how can we definitively label someone? Is there a way, a litmus test? And how how big of a problem is it at this point?
5: It's bad. It's bad. I mean, and I... Um, as far as a litmus test, I don't know. I mean, I think it's very difficult because there's, um, there's a disconnect that goes all the way to the top. You know, I mean, there a lot of people think so right now there's a number of America first, uh, people in Congress who have kind of become the celebrities of the new right. Uh, they get a lot of media attention, They get a lot of uh, publicity in terms of, you know, being uh, being kind of the voice of the the new America First uh, Republican movement. Um, I'm not satisfied with any of them, to be honest with you, certainly not as it pertains to the January 6th issue and a number of other things that have happened. So it's very difficult because. You know, a lot of people think that because there are a lot of conservatives who think that just because they see somebody on television or in the news and that these people are kind of saying the words that they want to hear, that that means that these are the people who are representing them well. But actions speak a lot louder than words, as we know, particularly words that are just delivered on a television appearance or in a conservative Uh, media interview. And um, so let's wait and see what the actions actually are after November from a lot of these people. Should we take control of the house? And I hope to God that we do. But I mean, that'll be, I think, the real test at that time, because right now the excuse that's being used by a lot of people is that we're the minority party, that we don't have power, we don't have control. and, And that's a reasonable explanation, but we let's see what happens if that changes and if the action actually starts taking place after that control, we, we get that control because um, that I think will really tell the tale. And, um, you know, and the leader right now of the MAGA movement, and the America First movement is former President Trump, as we know. Um, but there's a disconnect there as well, because I think that President Trump, um endorses a lot of candidates and is getting behind a lot of people. Let's see what these people do when they get into office. And and I hope that they will. I would certainly much rather um, have a, an ineffective Republican in office than an aggressive, progressive Democrat. But I want to see action from Republican leaders. I want to see MAGA and America first congressional leaders who go in there and clean house drain the swamp and stand up for the American people and really get in there and and make a difference with the, this DOJ overreach and FBI overreach that's really crushing people and a lot of innocent people who are having their lives destroyed. We need help. And uh, these are the only people, this is the only line of defense that we have. And I really hope that these people step up and it's I think only time will be able to tell, to, time will tell to answer that question.
0: Right. It's certainly a continuum. There's a big difference between a, a Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy to an MTG or a Matt Gates. But I know what you're saying, that, that we need more action. We need um, more tactics, strategy, You know, people who really understand the job and know how to get things done. Uh, are there any ones like a Golmer or a Gosar, someone that you think is a model or do we have no one?
5: I'm not gonna answer I- I'm sorry, but I'm gonna refrain from answering that question until I see what happens after November. I don't at this point, I don't want to give anybody credit for being the the prototype or the model for what people should be like until I actually see what they do. So for right now, everyone's right. on equal footing with me. Uh, they're gonna have to prove themselves and
0: nobody have to earn gets that a pass endorsement right. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Tell me about the, the new event you have coming up, the Black American Culture War Showdown.
5: Sure. So on October 15th in Washington, D.C., that's just a week from this Saturday, uh, we're bringing what I think is going to be a groundbreaking revolutionary event where we are going to bring three black Americans to represent the political left versus three black Americans to represent the political right. And we're going to be debating a lot of the issues that have been used thus far to divide Americans along the lines of race and on the topic of race. uh, Things have gotten particularly bad in the last couple of years after the death of George Floyd, as we know, and the Black Lives Matter riots that swept the nation and everything that sort of tore us further apart through that. And We know that traditionally uh, black Americans are voting Democrat at a rate of 90%. This has been going on for generations. And I use that term generations as opposed to the term decades because this is a very generational issue. If you listen to a lot of the testimonials of black Americans who made their walkaway videos and talked about why they're leaving the left, what we heard time and time again were black Americans saying I voted Democrat because my parents were Democrats and my grandparents were Democrats. And what I was traditionally taught was that there was no seat at the table for a black American on the right, that the Republicans are the the party of greedy, self-interested, uh, racist white people and that has further gotten worse and worse as narratives have been manipulated and exploited by the Democrat Party narratives about white supremacy, about systemic racism, about reparations, uh, and then how this has spilled over into critical race theory, the Black Lives Matter movement, and how these different narratives have been manipulated to demonize people like Donald Trump while uplifting people like Joe Biden. But if you look at the the history of rhetoric and voting patterns and uh, policies that have been supported, look at Trump and look at Biden historically in their political careers and who supported what and what has done more to uplift the black community. We're going to discuss all of this and debate all of this and more. And I really hope that this will be the definitive debate and conversation on this issue that will resonate with the Black community for years to come. And what I'm really, really asking people to do is support and get behind this event because I think it's the most important conversation that we're going to have before the midterm elections. People can support this by showing up on October 15th in Washington, D.C. Tickets are only $10. Uh, they can go to walkawaycampaign.com slash events. Click on events uh, to get a, a $10 ticket to attend this event in Washington, DC. Or if you can't make it, please uh donate towards the success of this event. We're spending a lot of money to try to have this conversation. Support Walkaway and what we're doing. But I I would much rather have people there. So, you know, make an effort to come and be in the audience and, and support and attend this event. It's going to be an incredible conversation. And people are not going to want to miss this. It's going to be incredible.
0: Yeah, this is not only timely for the midterms. This is a conversation that will be recorded and reflected upon. Uh, It's a national conversation, so that's important. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming on the show, Brandon. Really appreciate it. We want to have you back soon. Give us an update. See if any of those people in Congress actually end up doing something eventually. We want to get you to report back uh, to us on that. Thank you, Brandon, for coming on. And thank you for watching American Media Periscope. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Elliot Resnick about what's going on in Jewish culture and politics as soon as we
3: get back. Hydrogen is used by health professionals as a powerful antioxidant and the number one tool to fight inflammation. Studies show therapeutic potential in cancer, diabetes, digestive, and heart issues, and essentially every organ and system in the body. This is not medical advice because I'm not your doctor. But if you have any health concerns, I strongly recommend that you learn more about hydrogen. Get educated at holyhydrogen.com and order the best hydrogen generator known to man. Because hydrogen is the smallest molecule in existence, it can pass through the cell membrane and even the blood-brain barrier to clear out inflammation and free radical damage where other antioxidants just can't get to. Visit holyhydrogen.com to see the latest technology that elevates your immune system and fights inflammation. Search their research library to see if hydrogen has a track record for helping a health concern you're dealing with. Make sure to use your special American Media Periscope code, AMP, for $100 off your order. Holyhydrogen.com.
0: Well, Elliot Resnick is an author who holds a PhD in Jewish history and hosts a weekly podcast called The Elliot Resnick Show. Welcome to the show, Elliot. Thanks for joining us. You are the former employee of Jewish Press, one of the only 26 newspapers to actually endorse Trump. Uh, Tell me about that Trump endorsement. Tell me about your experience there and what happened. You're not working there anymore.
6: Yes. Well, the Jewish Press is an Orthodox Jewish newspaper, and Orthodox Jews actually generally vote Republican. An Orthodox Jew is basically a traditional Jew, a Jew who believes In the divinity of the bible and believes in the divinity of the oral law that we believe was given by god to moses along with the written law a survey was done of the orthodox jewish community in 2018 it found that donald trump had a 90 percent approval rating in that community if you look at election maps in 2016 you will see in new york for example manhattan all blue in other words all democrats The Bronx almost exclusively blue, Brooklyn almost entirely blue, except the lower parts of Brooklyn, you start seeing pockets of red. Where are those pockets? Those pockets are Orthodox Jewish communities. And these communities did not vote for Trump 55 to 45. They voted 70 to 80 percent for Trump. And if you look in 2020, they voted 80 to 90 percent for Trump. I found one precinct where 97 percent of the vote went to Donald Trump. So Orthodox Jews actually vote Republican. Why? Well, it's actually kind of obvious probably to your audience. If you believe in the divinity of the Bible, that means automatically you oppose gay marriage, you oppose transgenderism, you oppose euthanasia, you oppose abortion on demand, you oppose the general moral philosophy of the left, of the left post sexual revolution, which is if it feels good, just do it. So you oppose all these things. So obviously you're going to vote Republican. I would say it's almost impossible to be a Democrat on social issues and be an Orthodox Jew. But even when it comes to other issues, it's much more natural for an Orthodox Jew to vote Republican. I'll give one example, the existence of good and evil. The left is very uncomfortable with good and evil. It's not black and white, it's gray, everything's nuanced, your truth might not be my truth, but the Bible is very clear. There's good, there's bad, there are wars between good nations, and evil nations. When a criminal does something wrong, he's punished. And that's another point, actually. The Bible believes in free will. If you do something wrong, it's your fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your teacher's fault. It's not society's fault. You are not a victim. You have free will. If you did something wrong, you get punished for it. Now, you could repent, but only God could give could grant repentance. In a human court, human courts can't see your heart, And so they have to punish you if you do something wrong. So even on these type of issues, it's much more natural for a Bible-believing Jew to vote Republican than it is for him to vote Democrat. Now, unfortunately, only 20% of Jews are Orthodox. So... You have many Jews who are not voting for Republicans, but our numbers are growing because we have many more children than non-Orthodox Jews do. And just like you had, had a revival of evangelical Christians over the last several decades, and unfortunately, we've also had a revival of fundamentalist Muslims over the last few decades, there's also been a huge revival of Orthodox Jews in the last few decades. And I think slowly but surely over time, you will see more Orthodox Jews representing the Jewish community in the public square, rather than non-Orthodox Jews. I mean, you, you already see it a little bit. Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew. Joel Pollack, a senior editor at Breitbart, is an Orthodox Jew, and there are others. So I think you will see this changing over time. People are not interested in compromises and watered down religion anymore. People are interested in authentic religion.
0: Well, besides demographics and people having more interest in in religiosity, what are the other things that could cause an evolution or an increase in in Jewish conservatism? I mean, um, you know, and tell me about the the inherent conflict when you have a, a group of people who are supposedly Jewish, I say supposedly because... They're not religiously Jewish, right? It's like uh, I've heard Ben Shapiro say that Jews are one of the most non-religious groups. So, uh, you know, there seems to be a conflict here between people who are religious, people who are non-religious, people who are very, very liberal uh, and people who are very, very conservative. So tell me about that conflict, that inherent conflict uh, within one uh, group of people.
6: Well, I think you hit it on the head, which is that a Jew is kind of an interesting word. It means someone who follows their Jewish religion, but it also could mean somebody who simply was born to a Jewish mother. You don't really have that in other religions. Somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity is not a Christian. Somebody who doesn't believe in Islam is not a Muslim. And yet you could have people who don't believe in Judaism, but who are Jews, because Jew is a religious identity. It's also an ethnic identity. And I think if you don't believe in Judaism, you are often not going to be voting Republican. You're going to be voting Democrat. Now, people could think, well, why isn't it 50-50? If you don't believe in, in, in the Bible, at least it should be half these, not, these Jews should be voting Republican and half of these Jews should be voting Democrat. And it's a good question why it is that the overwhelming majority of non-Orthodox Jews vote liberal. I think one answer, and it's not my original one, but essentially I think the Jews are, are a spiritual and idealistic people. And God gave them a treasure, which is Judaism. And if you reject that treasure, you're left with a gaping hole in your soul, and you're going to try to fill it with something. And the thing that people try to fill it with nowadays is liberalism and idealistic causes in general. uh, It could be on the left. It could also be on the right. So, I mean, yes, you have Jews who are overrepresented in communism and socialism and liberalism, but you also take libertarianism, for example. All the big names in the beginning of libertarianism were Jews. Ayn Rand was Jewish. Murray Rothbard was Jewish. Ludwig von Mises was Jewish. Uh, Murray, uh, Milton Friedman was Jewish. So Jews are attracted to idealistic um, causes and to fill that gaping hole in the soul that's left there when they rejected Judaism.
0: And. Um, just another well, example this real quick. Example. I w- uh, real quick though, I want to ask you about what is it that people worship? Because you mentioned the whole idea of do whatever feels good. So that seems like a worship of the self. And with the uh, kind of authoritarian version of the left is basically that the state is what you worship. It's statism really. So uh, how do you frame it in your own mind if you're if you're rejecting God and his law, uh, what are you choosing to worship in its stead? So people do say the state. I tend to think it's more than just the state
6: because I think you see the left is very willing to break the law and defy the state when their values are at stake. So, for instance, marijuana. It's illegal to smoke marijuana based on federal law. And yet leftists completely ignore this law. In New York, I believe in California and Colorado, they ignore it. They defy federal law. They just don't care. Same thing with illegal immigration. It's a clear law that you can't provide sanctuary to illegal immigrants, and liberals openly defy that law. So I don't think, people say the left worships the state, I don't think that's true. To a certain degree it's true, but I think they have, they have values that go beyond the state. They will break the law, and you know, going back to your previous guest, I think the reason they keep on calling January 6th people insurrectionists is because if they lost an election like that, and if they thought we stole it from them, they actually would have an insurrection. They actually don't recognize any rules or any boundaries. Their religion is either liberalism or environmentalism, and they have a certain passion towards it, like the passion of the of the medieval church, and they, they'll burn people on the stake, metaphorically. They'll try to ruin your life. They'll try to get you fired from your job. They have all the passion and fanaticism that goes along with trad- traditional Judaism. And I'm, I'm not the first person to recognize this this fanaticism behind many of li- liberal causes. So I don't just think it's satism. I think it's... Um, and, and, and someone once compared liberalism to acid, really. It knows no end goal. It just, it's, it's something that burns tradition. It hates tradition. So whenever it burns one thing, so once upon a time, it, let's say it burns slavery, it burned the monarchy. Okay, that's good. But now it's burning marriage. It's burning the definition of man and woman. I mean, who knows what's next? If it wins the fight over transgenderism, we'll go on to incest, or bestiality, or who knows what. I don't know what it will go on to, but it's a constant war against tradition, against uh, any norms, against black and white, against rules, against anything traditional. Wow,
0: that, that, was, that was very uh, insightful, actually. It reminds me of, in the Bible, uh, the concept of, you know, there's always... Uh, a fall after pride. you know, And the pride is very destructive. So it seems like that's at the root of it. Well, you recently wrote about the Mar-a-Lago raid, and the title is related to we're missing the point about it. So let's switch gears and talk about the Mar-a-Lago raid. What point are we missing here?
6: Okay, I think if you go on social media, you'll see many conservatives saying things like, Trump didn't have any classified documents, or if he had the documents, he declassified them or if he didn't declassify them, they didn't pose a threat to national security anyways. I think they're all missing the point. And to me, they're, they're the, the equivalent of trying to prove that the victims of Stalin's show trials were not in fact Trotskyites or counter-revolutionaries. Well, of course they weren't Trotskyites or counter-revolutionaries, but no one bothers saying that because it's, it's obvious. Everyone knows that those show trials were exercises not in justice, but in raw political power and the same thing is true here this is not about justice it's not about whether trump is innocent or guilty it's about the left trying to crush trump and by extension trying to cr- crush us because he represents us his base and as far as i'm concerned the only question is what are we going to do about it how are we going to re- react and i actually think if there if trump gets word that they're about to arrest him trump should put out a public statement calling on 50,000 of his followers to surround his house with weapons. And when the FBI comes to arrest Trump, those 50,000 <laughs> followers should say to the FBI, if you arrest Trump, it's going to be over our dead body. Now the ball's in your court, your move.
0: Well, you know, people- yeah, that would be a bold move for sure. Uh, but, you know, you're basically saying... We should kind of ignore all the legal minutiae of this, uh, this situation because the point is they just wanted to get Trump. If it was, if the shoe was on the other foot, uh, we would never do this to the left because we respect, uh, the law regarding, uh, former presidents. So this is just on its face absurd. And, and we just need to go with one talking point, the principle of they're just trying to get Trump no matter what.
6: Right. That's 100% true. But I think also the left knows no boundaries. It recognizes no rules. The leftists will not stop until we force them to stop. I, I hate to say that. No one likes to break any rules. I love to live in a civilized society. But if you live in a civilized society and only one side is willing to break the rules, then the other side has two options. Either it us decide breaking the rules to win. What does that mean, that case? That means letting the most glorious country in the history of the world, besides ancient Judea, which was founded by God himself, but besides for that, this glorious country founded by George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, Patrick Henry, Thomas Paine, letting that country go down the drain and letting the leftists destroy it. The other option is to break the rules ourselves. And by the way, this is the basis of, I think, Christian just war theory. Christians don't generally generally like killing people. But the just war theory is, well, we have two options. Either we let evil prosper and win, or we fight back and defeat evil so that we can preserve a good world. So that's our only two options right now. Either we let the left win and destroy this country, or we do whatever it takes and match their tenacity. And yes, perhaps break the law if we need to, but only if we need to. But we have to stop them one way or the other. The other option is to let them win. And that to me is not an option at all.
0: Well, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I totally resonate with the idea that we on the right have been way too weak, full of cowardice, spineless, and unwilling to be as aggressive for our agenda that should we should be aggressive for. We should be aggressive, not necessarily physically aggressive, but I'm talking about, uh, you know just metaphorically speaking here, we need to be as aggressive for family, for truth and justice, for uh, godly values, and yet we we hold back, right? And I think a lot of it is individualism, just wanna be left alone, you know, and just, you know, whatever whatever it is, uh, we need to stand up a- a- and create a boundary. Uh, I definitely wanna stop short at calling for any type of political violence because I think we can keep the law and we can win with the law. I think that's what's kind of on our side. But I wanted to ask you about the piece that you wrote before the 2020 election for Newsweek under the title that, you know, is in defense of Trump's character. Because a lot of people think he's the type of guy uh, that sleeps with Stormy Daniels and speaks bad about women and he's just a blustering New Yorker. Um, but you had, you know, a different perspective. Can you tell us about what you think about Trump's character that's very, that's actually good? Right. So, I mean, obviously,
6: he's not flawless, but I do think he has certain unique qualities that really are a model and an example for the rest of us. And I'll give you a few. For instance, I love his work ethic. He loves working. He always I mean, some people think the point of life is to relax and go on vacation on a beach somewhere and sip a tequila. And that's paradise on Earth. But no, it's not. God did not put us on Earth to vacation. He put us on Earth to produce, to accomplish, to work, to to, to, to do things. And Trump, I mean, I'll give you an interesting fact, which you may not know and most of your listeners probably and watchers do not know. Trump was the first president in 150 years not to own a pet. Not since Andrew Johnson in the 1860s had the president not owned a pet. And even Andrew Johnson, he didn't really own a pet. He had some mice that he found in the White House that he used to feed every single morning. Before him, you have to go back another 20 years, 170 years to James Polk to find the president who didn't have a pet. Now, I'm not saying pets are bad per se, but pets kind of symbolize the kind of sedate, domestic, calm life. And that's not just, it's just not in Trump's character. He always needs to produce and to accomplish. And I think it's a model for the rest of us. I think it's a great part of his character. Another part of his character that I love is he doesn't dwell on the past. He doesn't dwell on past foibles. If he makes a mistake, he moves on. I mean, you recognize it. You need to recognize mistakes in in order to behave better in the future, but he doesn't dwell in the past. We live in a society where people go to therapy and they focus on their childhood and their parents and their teachers and their vic- their victims of the past and they they become prisoners to their own mental construct. Trump doesn't do that. If he makes a mistake, that's it. It's in the past, move on. I love that about him. Another thing, I love the fact that he champions excellence. We live in a society where we give kids trophies, participation trophies, just for showing up to the match. We um, Robert Bork once said, that we spent so much trying, time trying to build kill kids' self-esteem without, and we would better use that time to give the kids skills and knowledge that would justify that self-esteem. I mean, basically, we worship mediocrity in this country. Trump is the opposite. He loves and champions excellence. He can't stand not being excellent. He can't even stand the thought that his inauguration crowd might have been smaller than Obama's. Now, that's not a big deal, considering that only 4% of Washington DC voted for Trump, so it would make perfect sense if his inauguration crowd was smaller than Obama's, but Trump just can't stand being second. Now, maybe he overdoes it, but I love the fact that he, he loves being excellent. He loves being first. I think it's great. I think we need to really, that, that, that should rub off on us. We should always go and try to be the best. And I'll just mention one last thing. He's fearless. Most politicians are not fearless. Trump will, generally speaking, with very few exceptions, will generally say and do what he thinks is right, and he doesn't care. I think that's so important because so many of us, we're constantly thinking, what are my friends going to say if I say this? What are they going to say if I do that? And Trump just says and does what he thinks is right. And first of all, you'll be rewarded in heaven automatically no matter what. But even down here on Earth, Trump won the presidency doing that. So you even see that you don't even lose. Every other politician is always scared to say or do the right thing. He said and did what he thought was right, and he was rewarded here, not just in heaven, even here down on Earth. And I think that's such an inspiration for the rest of us to say and do the right thing and not be scared.
0: Yeah. Politicians have become synonymous with being completely fake and inauthentic. So that is quite refreshing to hear someone tell it like it is. And another thing that I think is unique about Trump is that he's able to forgive people who have maybe crossed him slightly in order to form a strategic alliance if necessary. But then if you really cross the line uh, he goes after you, you know, and I think that's that's smart. You don't just let people like give them a pass and let them walk all over you. And so I think he walks that line very well. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, and I ask you about your your book, Volume Three here of Movers and Shakers, where you interview just some really high performers and people who are pretty big in the political world. As soon as we get back.
1: The iSat Phone 2 is the latest generation satellite phone, designed for the most reliable commercial satellite communications network in the world. The iSat Phone 2 from Inmarsat is ready, reliable, and robust. iSat Phone 2 has fast network registration and unrivaled battery life with up to 160 hours of standby time. ISAT Phone 2 operates over global geostationary satellites with 99% network availability and reliable call stability and network connection. Engineered to withstand the most extreme conditions, the ISAT Phone 2 is dust, splash and shock resistant. The ISAT Phone 2 has built-in tracking and assistance buttons and gives notifications even when the antenna is stowed. And with the easy-to-use interface and high-visibility display, the iSAT Phone 2 is ready to go. Find out more at InMarsat.com.
0: We're talking to Elliot Resnick, and Elliot, you interviewed 250 people over your career and put 180 of these interviews into three books, the latest one out called Movers and Shakers, Volume 3. Tell me about some of the highlights, uh, some of the people who are the most interesting and and would be really relevant for us to discuss on this kind of show.
6: Well, like you said, I have interviewed many um, well-known people, people like Ben Shapiro, David Horowitz, Laura Loomer. Charles Crowdhammer, Heather McDonald, Charles Murray. But the people I find most interesting, and I'm not excluding those people, by the way, but the people I find most interesting are the people either from whom I learned something new that I did not know before, or people who are passionately fighting for a cause. And if it's for a cause in which they're the underdog, then I like them even more. So I'll give an example of somebody who I think falls into both categories. Her name is Nina Teichholz. She wrote a book called The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. And I interviewed her actually twice, once for the Jewish press, and that's how she made it into one of my books. And then again for my podcast, I just interviewed her again just two months ago. And it was actually a New York Times bestseller. I don't know how it became a New York Times bestseller. And it's interesting for two reasons. Number one, she says that fat is actually not bad for you. That's interesting enough, but that's not why I find her book fascinating. I find her book fascinating. She spent nine years writing it and researching it. She found, and she discusses how we came to this belief that fat is bad for us. And it turns out the reason we think that is basically because a few powerful Tony Fauci-like figures in the 1950s told us so. So basically in the 1950s, there was an uptake, an increase in heart disease, And people couldn't figure out why. And several very powerful doctors, one in particular, who was actually Eisenhower's doctor, decided that fat was the culprit. And he started advising Americans to stop having fat. And he knew it would take 5, 10, 15 years for the studies to prove him correct. He said, we can't wait for the studies to prove me correct. We need to start advising all Americans right now to stop eating fat. Now, the the studies never proved him correct. By, By that time, it was too late. He couldn't admit he was wrong. And he started telling everyone not to eat fat. Now, just like in COVID, why did we all come to have this belief? Because he controlled the major journals, he controlled the major conferences, he controlled the grant money. So if you didn't agree with his thesis, if you thought for example that sugar was a culprit for heart disease or refined carbohydrates, all of a sudden you didn't get your articles published in mainstream journals, you didn't get invited to mainstream conferences, and you no longer got grant money from the, from the government. The same exact thing that the government did now with COVID was done with heart disease in the 1950s. And I found that so fascinating. I found it fascinating. I read it a few years ago. It's one of the most fascinating books I've read over the last 10 years. And now it brings so much truer now that we've lived through COVID. We all like to think of science as this dispassionate, objective search for truth. And it turns out scientists are like the rest of us. Just like we have egos, they have egos. Just like we don't like admitting we're wrong, they don't like admitting we're wrong. And it's actually much worse than that. Because if we make a mistake and we have to admit we're wrong, we have to admit our mistake, what, to a few friends, to a few family members? When they have to admit they're wrong, they have to admit they're wrong to millions or if not hundreds of millions of people. And people like Tony Fauci or this doctor from the 1950s, their egos are way too big to tell hundreds of millions of people I was wrong. And some community doctors, you know, in some local clinics were correct. And so they just stick with it. And that just shows how much
0: power. Uh, how much power they have? This is a, a institutional issue where they they control the incentives for for so many different things, so many millions of dollars. Uh, that's a lot of power, and we usually think power resides in the White House or maybe at the Federal Reserve. But to understand that it can reside there can really wake us up. So that was probably a big wake up call for you and for everyone who who understands these types of things. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Laura Loomer. You know when you interviewed her. I think she's a fascinating character.
6: Yeah, I like her a lot also. I mean, and, you know, one thing people say about her or people like her is, oh, she's a little cuckoo. I always have one response to that type of argument, which is everyone on the left right now believes a man could be a woman and a woman could be a man. So that automatically makes Laura Loomer more normal than half the country. Off the bat, right there. Number two, when you start fighting like her and you start doing the things that she does, then you have the right to start saying she's cuckoo. Until then, you have no right. She and a very few others are actually highlighting and doing the things that need to be done. When Twitter banned her, she didn't just go home and go to bed and say, well, Twitter banned me, what could I do, end of story. No, she went to Twitter's headquarters and she handcuffed herself to Twitter's headquarters to highlight the injustice that was done to her. These are the type of things we need to do if we want to win the culture wars. Going back to the earlier question when you said, talked about, and I agree with you, there are many things we could do before we get to anything which is illegal. And I'll give a perfect example. I, I mentioned before the marijuana and illegal immigration, which left defies the law. Around 5, 10 years ago, the Supreme Court said gay marriage is legal. The Constitution, the, f- the framers of the Constitution gave all Americans a guarantee to have gay, um, gay marriage. Of course, that's absurd on its face. And there was a judge in Alabama, Judge Roy Moore, who said, I will not recognize gay marriage in Alabama. I will, In my courthouse, in whatever jurisdiction, jurisdiction that I have, I will not recognize gay marriage. But he was the only one in Alabama who did that. Imagine if every judge in Alabama did that. What would the federal government do? Come down with the army? Let them, let's raise the ante, let's not lower the ante. But we didn't, we only had one judge, Roy Moore. So the entire left easily defies the marijuana laws and immigration laws. Only one conservative judge in the entire country was willing to defy the Supreme Court when they said gay marriage is legal. When obviously it's absurd to, to think that the founders had yeah. that in mind when they framed the Constitution. So, Laura, that's Rumer's a really a good example
0: because because it shows that what we're missing here is, is is courage and conviction, conviction in our values. Because if you really believe in the Bible, if you're really uh, religious, you would never uh, sanction that type of thing. So. Uh, yeah, you know, that really brings that to the surface. Uh, tell me, let's switch gears and talk about January 6th, because you were there, you know, and I don't, I think this is a big part of your story. I don't want to miss out on this. We only have two minutes in the show left, but tell me about your January 6th story.
6: Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't really talk so much about it because... You know, once upon a time, we lived in a free and fair country, and I no longer believe that's the case, unfortunately. But I will say, as far as I'm concerned, what happened that day was not an underreaction, was not an overreaction. I believe it was an underreaction. I believe either the election was stolen or there were so many questions, so many obvious questions that the left owed us an explanation. And for two months, the left's strategy was, you know, go fly a kite. We're not even entertaining any of your questions. And that's what happened. The crowd exploded that day because for two months, they didn't have a single court case. They didn't have a single interview on mainstream television. Not a single mainstream journalist took them seriously. If you ignore people, they will erupt. And that is what happened. And I think, and compared to the left, people always say, well, it's like the left. No, it's not like the left. The left was upset about some police incident in Minnesota. So they decided to um, riot and loot sneaker stores in Manhattan. What's the connection? The people on January 6th were mad at the politicians, and they stormed the building in which the politicians were in order to scream at them. Any violence that was committed, not one statue in that building was touched, not one, not one painting in that building was touched. If the left was in that building, the building would have been on fire. The only violence committed that day in terms of broken windows was sort of you know um, utilitarian. They needed to get into the building, so they needed to break a window to get into the building. There was no wanton destruction at all. If you're going to try to steal an election, Um, That's what's going to happen. And I think people on the right played it terribly. The people on the right should have played it exactly like the left played the riots during the summer. The left mostly did not justify the riots. But they said, look, there's so much racism in the police force. We can't help it. We understand if the people on the ground explode and erupt. The people on the right should have done the same exact thing. They should have said, look, we may... Perhaps not endorse, and we don't necessarily um, advocate breaking Very into buildings. Very good point, Elliot. Because this is the
0: yeah. tendency that we've covered several times here: is for people on the right, the conservatives, the Republicans, to underplay, right? To to to, to just not do enough, to just do nothing, perhaps. Uh, you know, to not be aggressive, to not be willing to take any risks at all. Uh, and to play weak and cowardice. So, you know, we need to have the courage and conviction, and I appreciate you having it and doing what you do. Thank you for coming on the show, Elliot Resnick. Thank you for watching AmericanMediaPeriscope.com. We are America's Patriot-only network. You can follow me on Truth Social at Sean Morgan Report. Get my breaking news updates at SeanMorganReport.com. I'm going to leave you with a moment of levity. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. As you know, it has been a banner week for us here at the FBI. We've arrested hundreds of concerned parents at school board meetings. We have busted several terror plots that were being carried out by, um, well, by us. And uh, most importantly, we raided the Mar-a-Lago home of Donald Trump. So of course the purpose of this press conference will be to uh, reveal the items from Trump's safe that we have recovered and Agent Skolder here will be demonstrating, uh, uh, showing to us the first of the items.
5: Yes, thank you Agent Molly. First up we have thousands and I mean thousands of McDonald's receipts. The guy ate a lot of McDonald's and it appears he tried to flush this one down the toilet.
2: Despicable. Well, we also have here an item of note a giant bottle of tanning solution.
3: Friends, Dr. Michelle and I are not celebrity doctors. You probably won't see us interviewed by Oprah, but we see wonderful results in the lives of our patients every single day. We see results.
4: While most medical practices are focused on managing your symptoms, we help you find the root cause and find healing with proven and natural solutions. Will you take 12 seconds and go to Sherwood.tv and join our free newsletter? We'll keep you up to date on new interviews and practical tips for hope and health. Visit Sherwood.tv and subscribe.